This is a review of the Norwegian Danish uh, Ragnarok series presently on Netflix by Adam Prise and uh, Emilia Lebe Co. Uh, I will use a problem that I'm seeing in this series to explore what mythology is and how it should be used uh, and how it should not be used. There'll be spoilers. On this channel I'm trying to communicate traditional knowledge and sometimes this goes through applying traditional knowledge perspectives on something in our contemporary world. I'm increasingly inspired by the thinking of the uh, Aboriginal Australian complexity thinker Tyson Junkerporter and he emphasizes how uh, traditional knowledge, what he calls indigenous knowledge, is not so much a what as it is a how. Uh, and this way of doing things, creating traditional knowledge as processes of thinking rather than as pieces of information, uh, is something that I'm playing with or trying to incorporate. And this review here uh, um, takes, uh, um, takes a critical uh, form as an example of doing this. Right, right, I know that a lot of people really love the Netflix series Ragnarok, and I totally understand this. In many ways, it's super appealing. The narrative is contemporary realistic. This teenage setting is surprising and places these, placing the narrative in these transformational persons. It's humoristic at times. It even takes out in some outlandish aspects of using Nordic myths sometimes. And uh, the notion of deities uh, manifesting through humans is not bad at all, I think. It's also racially inclusive. Uh, really important whenever you're touching Nordic myth uh, and there is a uh, something uh, touching and powerful about uh, the process of the lead figures I think but there's a problem and boy it is a big one but I'll get back to that in a little while I first have to explain a little bit of the background of what mythology is and what the Ragnarok myth is um, you can see more about this in my mythology playlist where I have some different explorations of uh, kind of you could say myth mythic explorations and um, Here it just suffice to say that I see myths as, uh, as narratives that create relation uh, And this is why also problems appear when people don't really understand this one example is um, uh, these new atheists who are often not scholars of religion uh, and therefore tend to throw about these sort of common sense notions that, you know, as a narrative, the Bible doesn't have qualities that are different from the stories about Donald Duck or something like that. And I, I think an under, undergraduate history of religion student ought to be able to reason that nobody ever thanked Donald Duck for being cured of cancer or started a war in the name of Donald Duck. So it, in my opinion, it ought to be a total no-brainer that Donald Duck and Jesus are very different kinds of protagonists. Um, Jesus have a very high impact on how people relate to each other, to their own lives, and to well everything in the world, basically. And um, this is also why the myths that we tell each other, they should be handled, handled with the utmost caution, competence, and, and wisdom, uh, because they can go dysfunctional, and we're actually seeing that quite a lot. Uh, dysfunctional myth-making. I've already spoken about one very salient example of this, and that's conspiracy theories, uh, which from a traditional knowledge perspective are dysfunctional myth-weaving that misapplies intention and subjectivity 
on human agents because our modernist, rationalist worldviews prevents us from perceiving uh, personhood and intention in stuff that happens outside humans. For instance, COVID-19, it can't have a subjectivity and intention in the modernist perception. So we can't engage it as a person and therefore we, 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 we struggle to apply, to see human intention that underlying the or we see the intention that underlies the pandemic or the subjectivity as human, as, as, as something that human agents engineered. Um, yeah, anyway, this is a very condensed version of this argument. You can, you can see it elsewhere. Um, again, I have a little bit of my understanding of this also in, with inspiration from Juncker Porta that I mentioned before. He mentioned the term metaphors rather than myths. Uh, and metaphors form the intersection between a physical world and the dreaming in, in Junger Porter's idea. In this sort of deep and dynamic Aboriginal understanding of reality, metaphors, if they lack integrity, if they're undynamic, reductive, simplistic, lack multifaceted meaning or capacity to create relation, then they are, uh, then they, they are deceptions, deceptive, and they become curses uh, and this can, of course, also be willfully constructed if you want to hurt someone. Um, yeah, but deceptions are dysfunctional myths, dysfunctional met metaphors. And, right, as I have abundantly ranted about, <laughs> the uh, Ragnarok myth is a myth of collapsed interconnectedness. The complex webs of interchanges, kinship, social contracts, transformations, and identifications collapses. And this web that used to tie together the gods, the Aesir, the Vanir, with the Jotnar, who, and the, who intermarry and identify with each other, play games, deceive, exchange wisdom, employ each other, make babies and descend from each other in all kinds of ways. These, this web of connectedness collapses. Uh, because the fratricide of Baldur is such a break of um, kinship, cosmic kinship, that interconnectedness unravels like drawing a, th a thread of yarn out of a knitted sweater. And this is an animist understanding that analyzes the Ragnarok myth. The deep meanings of the Ragnarok myth are opened through this understanding. Through this perspective, the dreaming is put into contact with our world, you could say, in a way that uh, aims to understand interconnectedness uh, and its collapse. It's a very contemporary, yet very much in con contact with the original myth as an analysis of collapse in the web of relating that sustains the harmonious world. The problem with the Ragnarok series is that it does that in a very incomplete and perhaps even deceptive way. It tries to copy-paste onto our ecological breakdown one single aspect, one single very superficial aspect of the Ragnarok myth. The confrontation between the gods and the Jotnar uh, that is universalized as if it was just the way it is. The Jotnar represented by the Jutul family are almost evil. They find, they find emotion repulsive. Weird idea. The, the, the series actually um, shares, explicitly shares its understanding of the Nordic cosmos and uh, myth. Um, the lead figure is, is listening to a book and it reads, and, um, and I'm quoting directly from the series here, the Nordic gods represented law and order. The Jotnar, chaos, and the world of the Vikings was so simple that, that the gods killing the giants was not seen, seen as evil, 
but as a necessity in maintaining the balance in the world, because if the forces of chaos grew too strong, the world would end. Now, this sounds kind of right in a common sense school book kind of way, but in my view, it's actually directly incorrect. It's not because the gods don't kill the Jotnar enough that the world ends. It's the opposite. It's because the connectedness to the Jotnar breaks down. War on the Jotnar is a symptom of the Ragnarok. It's not a way of preventing it. The problem with this reductive and simplistic understanding underlying this contemporary myth-making is that the Ragnarok series totally mislabels the agents causing our ecological collapse. Uh, the, the Ragnarok series narrates the collapse as caused by the Jotnar instead of reading it as caused by our disconnect from these forces. It isn't the trolls that cause the Ragnarok, the Jotnar. It's our rupture from interconnectedness with the trolls that's causing it. It's us that's a problem and blame, blaming the Ragnarok on, on, on the trolls enforces our disconnect from them, right? Hence enforcing the root of the problem pushing us further towards the actual escalating eco-Ragnarok, right? We should start sharing bed and wisdom with the Jotnar again. That's the solution. Not narrating them as demons causing pollution. It's our social system that causes environmental collapse, not the forces of nature. It's a very dangerous misapplication of the Ragnarok myth, and, and this makes the series into basically... A curse, I think, in Junker Porter's sense, that drives us further towards the uh, towards the Ragnarok. It's an intersection of, between the the dreaming and the physical world without integrity, a dysfunctional mythology. It is what could perhaps, in a in a Nordic terminology, be called be called Ginrunar. Uh, I'm inspired here by uh, Iron Age uh, rune stones that have this word, and I use it as meaning runes of deception. Gin, the word gin or the root gin has meanings both of power and deception. And gin runar is um, sometimes just interpreted as power runes. Uh, but the word is found on a couple of rune stones of the so-called Blaking group uh, stones from just prior to the Viking Age, where the carver states that he hides gin runar to invoke dark curses, maleficence, and insidious death through malicious guile <laughs> on the one that breaks the monument. Right, so so this is, that's just to say that that it's possible to read the word gin or gin runa as curses of deception, malicious guile. Um, so so yeah, you, we could uh, you know say that this kind of uh, narration of the myth is a gin rune, creating a deceptive image of the Ragnarok myth that creates unrelation, an invocation that disconnects and thereby causing the eco-Ragnarok. Now, I've pestered the production with uh, behind the series with emails after season one uh, about asking me or someone who knows what they're talking about uh, to into some counseling before continuing this basically mythic weaponizing of the, the Ragnarok uh, story uh, into invoking environmental collapse. But um, I think you know, asking people today who uh, to take myth, who produce myth, to take myth seriously is a bit like asking politicians to take seriously that humanity is presently facing the most atrocious collapse in the history of our species. You know, it's really beyond me. You know, the people who are narrating myth seems to not be appreciating what myth is, what it can do, and what power there actually is in it. It is as if they think it is only 
Donald Duck in that perception. That there isn't just any little aspect of mythic relevance with agency in the story that they're producing. In the story they're producing. Right. So I don't know. Uh, I, th I think they should take a very deep breath. Uh, you know, before they go into season three and before continuing what until now appears to me to be a complete mythic traffic accident. I th but I do think it's still possible to save it. So if you are Adam Please and you're watching this and drop me an email. <laughs> I already wrote your people several times. Um, if you invite me in to help a little bit with season three, season three then uh, I'll take all this back and we can actually make it, make it work. And uh, I think it could be amazing if some um, actual uh, traditional knowledge of the Ragnarok mythology uh, was to be applied in the creation of this contemporary myth-making. Great, thanks a lot and see you around. <laughs>